a very warm greeting to our listeners and actually for the very first time viewers my name is Simo Zulu and I'm the new and I'm newly the other half of our hosting team here at, at Nocturnal Unwrap. Of course, I am not alone. Sharing the host duties with me today is my colleague and dear friend, Kristen Krak, sorry, who's also student of Plains Mach'el podcast host. Good morning and welcome to you, Christian. Are you ready to do this? I'm ready to do this. <laughs> Wonderful. Joining us today is a true guest of note, a man who needs no introduction, notwithstanding the fact that I will now spend 30 seconds or so giving it to him. With us today is one Mr. Unati Kamlana, who's here for his second rodeo. Mr. Kamlana is the very first commissioner of the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, or the FSCA for short. Incidentally, it has been exactly a year and some change since he took the helm a feat we, which we would like to extend our congratulations for. It is both an honor and privilege to have him on. Mr. Gamlana, good morning and welcome to the show. How are you doing today, sir? Good morning, thank you, Simo. I'm very well and good to be back here. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Wonderful. Sir, we know you are a busy man and we appreciate you taking the time out to speak to us. Speaking of busy, Unfortunately, Pilasande couldn't make it today because of work commitments. He sends his regards and apologies for missing this episode. I know he was much looking forward to being here, and I'm sure he can't wait to have a listen. Nonetheless, his present presence will be felt as he left some questions and an opening message to you, Mr. Kamlan, which he insisted that we read verbatim so it would be like he were here with us. Kristen will read it all out to you. Kristen, over to you, partner. On behalf of Pilangape being able to join in the podcast, um, as, as something came up, I'd like to read this section that he wrote for you, sir. Dear Mr. Kamlana, firstly, congratulations on completing a year as the commissioner of the FSCA. It feels like yesterday that I was congratulating you on your appointment. I think we can both agree that over the rapid past few months, there have been a few noteworthy achievements over which one may be tempted to gloss, given the speed with which things progress in the financial service sector but that we are nonetheless worthy of commemoration. I've observed with very keen interest the development in the market conduct regulatory architecture with you at its helm. It is as clear as day to me, not only that our industry is moving in the right direction, but that more importantly, you are the right man to ensure that it remains on it for many years to come. Without being too long-winded and circuitous, I would like to know how you feel about the posture, what some of your highlights are, as well as some of the areas you think could do with a bit more work. All right. Um, firstly, thank you for the congratulations. Uh, really appreciate it. The last year has actually flown by. Um, I, I guess that's what happens when, when we are quite busy as we are uh, with the work in the FSCA. So, so maybe a few highlights uh, from, from the last year. A lot of focus on strategy. Um, we we joined last year at a time when the organization was due to review its three-year strategy, and that's what we did. Um, and we published in December last year the um, refreshed, if you like, um, strategy of the organization, focusing on five areas. The first being embedding treating customers fairly across the financial sector. The second being how we support and promote innovation and competition. So those are focused on market structure issues. Mm -hmm. The third being um, visible enforcement. 
um, so taking enforcement action, and we've said this elsewhere, that effective enforcement strategies are quite important because of the number of firms that are licensed that you cannot all reach in a particular year uh, from a risk-based uh, perspective. But enforcement actions, of course, serve as a credible deterrent uh, across the sector. The fourth area, uh, more of an internal focus, um, talking to us being more responsive and agile as an institution. And there's a few things that we are doing, including investing in systems and uh, uh, just better ways of receiving and analyzing and responding to uh, to data. And of course, the last area being uh, how we assist households and small businesses to be resilient. And I think that's an important theme, given the economic backdrop um, in South Africa. So that's that's the strategy focus. But of course, in addition to developing a strategy, has been a focus on supervision um, and really executing and implementing a risk-based supervisory uh, approach uh, as the FSCA across the financial sector. And this is quite important because why enforcement is, is, is important, I think that effective supervisory interventions, which are forward-looking, which are timeless and early, actually avoid a situation where you have to take enforcement action. And that actually better delivers on the mandate of the FSCA, which is to ensure that customers uh, are, treated, are treated fairly. And there's been some specific decisions that you would have seen in the media also pertaining to the last year, including uh, the Viceroy decision uh, that, that we spoke to the media about last year, also the decision to um, suspend the license uh, of, uh, of, of, of an exchange um, last year. So it's been quite a, a busy year and we've started in earnest uh, with the execution um of of the strategy of the organization so, so that, those are some of the of, of the highlights some of the things that i think we are focusing on to get better or get right uh in the time ahead of us we spoke i think last time uh, i was here about the regulatory approach to crypto assets uh, we're still doing work around that and we are hoping soon uh to be uh, publishing what that approach is going to be in terms of how we will be regulating uh, in that space and delivering um, on our mandate and working together with other um, uh, regulators as well in the financial sector. Uh, we st we're also doing work around the unclaimed assets. I think many people are familiar with unclaimed benefits, but we are working on a framework of putting together under one uh, umbrella all unclaimed assets and talking to taxonomy and how you define unclaimed assets uh, the responsibilities of financial institutions and how they interact with uh, customers around unclaimed assets uh, the whole issue of how, what do you use unclaimed assets for and how do you invest them uh, and potentially also them being invested for 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 the public good so doing that work so also interesting time uh, time ahead the last uh, issue is an issue of engagement and this is one you know, I'm highlighting because it continues to be very, very important and central to the work of the FSCA to continuously engage uh, stakeholders, including, of course, financial institutions themselves at the appropriate levels in the institutions, but other stakeholders as well, such as the provincial authority in, uh, in the Reserve Bank, other regulators uh, in the financial sector, and of course, being held accountable um, in Parliament 
we've had those interactions and we will continue to focus uh, on that as well going forward. But that's been the year and that's a little bit about what we'll be doing in the time ahead as well. Jeez, no wonder the year has flown by. That's quite something. Uh, so yeah. you mentioned uh, a, a lot of key areas of focus, but the one I want to pick out, single out rather, is the, um, the enforcement strategy. Does that relate to the draft bill on transformation strategies you guys had out open for comment last month, if I'm not, no. Yeah, yes, so actually that's uh, uh, quite an important one to highlight there. So although the focus of the transformation strategy is not enforcement per se, but what it is aimed at doing is to crystallize what the role of uh, the FSCA as a financial sector regulator will be in promoting um, transformation of the sector. Obviously, transformation being quite an important and a critical um, strategic objective, I think, uh, for, for, for the sector as a whole. Um, so we're doing two things there, two phases, if you like, that we are proposing. The first is to work with the sector on the basis of existing legislative frameworks and commitments that the sector uh, has around transformation and to engage continuously. But I think the point here is not to lose momentum, given how important transformation of the financial sector is in the context uh, of South Africa and our economy and our past and so on. The second phase is, of course, the work around the COFI bill, the Chronicle Financial Institutions bill that Treasury is working on and, and should be uh, published and tabled in Parliament shortly. And, and that um, legislative framework um, creates a much more clear legislative mandate, uh, if you like, or objective for the FSCA in the area of transformation and consolidates that role mm -hmm. uh, of, of the financial sector regulator. So we did publish, as you say, um, for public consultation, and we have received a lot of comments uh, on, the, on the strategy, and we are busy right now considering those comments and considering refinements to the strategy um, uh -huh. and to respond to those comments as, as, as we usually do when we engage the public uh, on, 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 on propo proposals such as the transformation strategy. The reason actually I thought it's part of the inf enforcement strategy is because it, it where I saw the article on it online, it's listed as a... A, a bill which would allow you guys to in, impose penalties on the companies who don't meet the transformational targets. So it, it gives you guys administrative power to do so. So that's why I thought it's part of the inform, in, enforcement strategy. Well, I mean, the, the, the issue around that is the, is the following. All of the responsibilities that the regulator has, when there's non-compliance, one of the, of the tools that you can use is to take administrative uh, extra to impose administrative penalties that is across the board but the point i'm making is uh, penalties are not the only tool in the toolkit um mm -hmm. because one of the things we emphasize in that strategy is is supervisory intervention is uh, engaging those firms on the basis of their transformation plans in fact, the issue of transformation plans is one that's introduced by the Insurance Act, which is already in existence, but only for the insurance sector. And uh, therefore, you can definitely impose administrative penalties, but that's not where you start. And this is quite important, actually, uh, 
um, uh, to, to to emphasize. Perhaps, perhaps we should have started with this point. What exactly are these transformation plans? Well, the transformation plans, all the transformation plan is, is an articulation of the firm of how it is going to meet its transformation targets, uh, which are outlined on, from, on the charter. And the charter is, of course, the commitment of the financial sector to, transforma to transformation of the sector. So what we are requiring, um, what we are thinking of requiring when we get to phase two, which is when the coffee bill is enacted, is to have th those requirements apply across the financial sector. Because as I say, right now, it's only a requirement um, on licensing in terms of the Insurance Act. So it only applies to the insurance sector. And because it's a licensing requirement of the Insurance Act, it's also not administered by the FSCA is administered by by the PA. So the change in the coffee world is that that responsibility is consolidated within the FSCA and those requirements apply across the sector. Thank you. It's referred to a few things, um, namely Viceroy and the coffee bowl, which you discussed with Pilar in the previous podcast. And I just want our listeners and viewers to know that I will attach the link to that podcast in the description once I've uploaded this to our YouTube. But Pilar also insisted that I ask you this question, sir. Having been an employee in the financial services sector for a meager five months, I know that there's still a lot more to learn about the industry. However, I've come across my fair share of onerous legislative processes that really knock the winds out of one's sails. Although I understand the need for them and the need to align with the TCF guidelines in an industry that for very long did not have such considerations, I cannot help but shake off the fact that more can be done to for the sake of ease and efficiency of business, ease the legislative weight on the shoulders of intermediaries. I hear that most of the top financial service providers in the country struggle to retain intermediaries. I understand that part of it is because the structure of these organizations, and although some organizations are trying their level best to assist in this regard, they cannot fully escape the reality of the industry. As there are many plans in place to, as it were, afford the intermediaries the same or similar kind of protection that customers enjoy. Because it does seem to me that on the path to the TCF, intermediaries have been and are continuing to fall by the wayside. All right. I mean, I what I'm taking from this, I guess, is a concern around regulatory burden. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't clear what the question was. So let me try to, 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 to maybe respond to that aspect specifically. Mm -hmm. And it talks to the need for regulation in the first instance. The need for regulation is because individual customers dealing with a very sophisticated and complex sector require protection mm -hmm. because of asymmetry of information. They don't have access to all the information that firms have around products, um, around disclosures, around pricing, the list of things um, that individual customers don't have uh, automatic access to. And because of that, you have to impose regulations to protect them. Now, saying that does not mean that we are insensitive to this question of balancing benefits with costs. Yes. Uh, regulation uh, and compliance with the regulation is expensive, but try non-compliance. Well, we think non-compliance is more expensive 
non-compliance not, not, not in the expense of regulatory action, but how you treat your customers in the absence of a clearly defined, consistent regulatory framework. And that's the balance that we always try uh, to, to strike. Not easy at the best of times, but my sense is that actually, um, if you look at how TCF has been embedded across the financial sector, the conversations we have with individual financial institutions, we are starting to see the approach actually bearing fruit. And one of the things that I always say about regulation is that, in fact, when it is implemented correctly, it is good for building confidence in the sector, which is good, therefore, for the sustainability and success uh, of the financial sector as well. So uh, I think what is perhaps not the right way of looking at regulation is just looking at it only as what is being imposed on the sector, as opposed to looking at it as how does it also benefit the sector given uh, the intended benefits for customers of the financial sector. So that protection when it is delivered correctly, uh, it is actually good for the whole sector. Okay. Um, you emphasize the customer element in what you just said. Um, Pilar also makes a point asking whether intermediaries can expect to enjoy the same protection that customers currently enjoy. Well, to the extent that they are customers of, of larger financial institutions, yes. But to the extent that they are licensed entities, they have obligations mm. from the regulatory framework. Um, so the, the kind of protection that they derive from the regulator is not the same because they play quite a different role um, as intermediaries. That's why they are licensed entities in the, in, the, in, the, in that space. The only point that is important perhaps to make here on intermediaries is that we emphasize this issue of proportionality because many of them are small um, entities and you don't want a, an approach that is one size fits all. Yeah. Um, so that's why we, uh, we we always make sure that our regulatory framework provides in an explicit way for proportional approaches to the application and implementation of regulation. Additionally, he says, George Stigler, who's best known for developing what we know as the economic theory of regulation, for which he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Economic Sciences in 1982, came to the conclusion that most public regulation lends itself to the misuse of such regulation by powerful industry players to their own benefit and to the exclusion and detriment of new entrants into the market. He coined this regulatory capture. How susceptible is the FSCA, if at all, to such regulatory seizure by the so-called usual suspects of the industry, given that the FSCA's revenue is drawn from the levies imposed on these companies? Um, we actually talked about this uh, with Blasande in the last uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, apologies if I repeat myself. Um, the, the levies model of funding regulators is actually a very well established model uh, across the globe. And its design is akin to the design of a tax. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, it is not a negotiation with financial institutions, which perhaps is what would um, lend a, a regulator to potential capture. I don't see it with any large financial institution 
and negotiate with them what levy they pay in a particular year. This is defined in law, and that law is uh, is, a, is obviously passed by publicly elected representatives of the people in parliament, and not me. Mm -hmm. um, so the application of that law for for the funding of regulatory functions um, is not something that uh, we, we go around with, with a begging bowl uh, to large players uh, or give them optionality that they can withhold resources because of their size. So I think it's quite important to make this point. Um, and then the second issue is, of course, um, regardless of the design of the funding model, the FSCA is required uh, and enjoined by the Financial Sector Regulation Act to perform its functions independently without fear, favor, or prejudice. Mm -hmm. um, and I can say with hand on my heart as a professional regulator that that is how I perform my functions and that's what informs my decisions on small players, on medium-sized players, on large players. Um, so there's absolutely um, um, no differentiation around potential capture. Uh, what exists, of course, the appreciation of the responsibility um, that we have as an independent regulator. And this applies across the board. I was in the in the sub for 10 years before I joined the FSCA. Um, the appreciation by professional regulators of the need um, to, to be seen as and to be independent uh, is actually quite well embedded in the financial sector regulation space in South Africa. He also mentions that Kenya has 44 main banking institutions, Nigeria has 22, Ghana has 23, while South Africa has five. The numbers may be slightly off, but he thinks the point is made. Therefore, to be an oligopolistic banking sector in South Africa, or there continues to be an oligopolistic banking sector in South Africa. And in the previous podcast you recorded with him, he gave you a satisfactory answer as to why the banking requirements are so stringent in South Africa and that for the sake of financial soundness, it's important that they remain as such. And while he found your answer quite convincing, he was left with the impression that though he is unable to justify as it is, that the South African system has stifled competition, innovation, and thus economic growth. Could the same not be said for the market conduct side of the equation, that the few big industry players, because of their financial might, are able to withstand and indeed absorb the regulatory pressure, both qualitative and quantitative, while the smaller players are not and are, this, are thus driven out of the market? Um, a couple of things there. So maybe like just to start with your last point, mm -hmm. uh, I, I would be, you know, I would struggle to see evidence and I'd be interested to see any evidence actually that regulatory burden has driven out any small industry players and just regulatory burden right because there are there are, there are business model challenges um which have got very little to do with um, um with regulatory burden which that, that do drive out does drive out uh, some some smaller players on this issue of the market structure again um perhaps to repeat some of the points i made last time there is a particular context to the evolution of the market structure in South Africa, especially when it pertains to banks. 
And this relates primarily to the period 98 to 2002. Well, actually, initially to the mid 1980s, uh, the debt stands still, uh, where few banks had to fold over. And um, then between 98 and 2002, because of the Asian crisis, I think a further 22 banks uh, handed back their licenses because of the monetary policy response uh, to a, a sharply depreciation currency, depreciating currency at that time. But of course, the combination of those two crises um, produced a fewer uh, larger institutions as dominant players um, in the banking space. And, and just to underscore that the numbers that you gave were completely off. So there isn't just five uh, banks in South Africa. There's perhaps five banks which account for more than 90% um, of total banking assets. But the point is made, you're right, and it's one of, of concentration. And I also made this point last time that the concentration level in the banking sector um, is not synonymous with the absence of dynamism and competition. Uh, it's actually a very competitive market, very cutthroat. But having said that, uh, something that's not happened uh, for a very long time in South Africa has been the licensing of new banks in the way that you've seen it done in the last three years. Um, no less than four new players uh, have been licensed and in fact uh, are doing quite well um, right now in the market in terms of attracting customers and offering uh, quite competitive um, uh, products to in, in the different niche markets or unique markets and market segments that they have they have um, uh, decided on so so that contribution is partly um from a regulatory perspective um the new approaches and proportional approaches uh, to allowing more entrants uh, and newer entrants into the banking space and i do expect that the better the economic uh, outlook as well the more you're going to see in terms of the continuation of that trend. Thank you, sir. Um, building on the contentions against um, Twin Peaks regulatory model, it, it, it has been held to be very expensive. The Freedom Market Foundation, um, I remember a projection of theirs was in the billions on the cost it would have on consumers. So in light of the positions taken by PILA and this point I've just made about the expense, I would like you to answer two questions, sir. First, why is the Twin Peaks model necessary to have and drawing from your first year alone, has it had the desired effect, especially within the FSCA? All right. Are you going to ask both questions or just one at a time? One at a time, sir. You can choose which one you take first. All right. That's fine. So, um, Twin Peaks, yes, actually, is delivering exactly as we had expected. Um, the efficacy of Twin Peaks, as we've outlined um, before, is it is regulating by philosophy um, approach, which enables professional regulators to have dedicated objectives. And the point of a dedicated objective is that it enables each regulator to focus its resources build expertise in the delivery uh, of a specific objective rather than to have to uh, think about or consider 
multiple objectives against which to deliver. And of course, there's enough evidence about um, the challenges around the so-called single regulator model, which was a model that existed, for example, in the UK before uh, they moved to, to, to Twin Peaks. So I think Twin Peaks um, conceptually and in terms of experience actually really helps. Uh, and it forces also financial institutions to think about the different objectives um, in a way that perhaps other regulatory architecture or models um, aren't quite able uh, to, to, to force the same kind of thinking in financial institutions. The assessment, of course, of success of Twin Peaks, I don't think can quite yet be made. Uh, Twin Peaks was implemented in South Africa in 2018. As you know, the history of the FSCA as the first permanent commissioner was only appointed last year. So we obviously still have to give it time. But in terms of what our interim assessment and observation is as professional regulators, uh, we think it's working. Uh, it's, wor it's working the best in the context of South Africa and, 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 and our financial sector. And in fact, uh, the point that we were just talking about now around concentration in large players, uh, one of the challenges of a model other than Twin Peaks, for example, if you think about um, a single regulator model, is that in, in that context, what tends to happen is that regulators focus on stability and microprudential considerations mainly, and then have uh, conduct issues, um, sort of the, the back banner. And what Twin Peaks forces is that regardless of your market structure, that you actually elevate the strategic priority of regulation to be both prudential and stability issues, but also market conduct, okay. uh, which is what I think we are, uh, what we have right now. Thank you, sir. So just for interest sake, I'd like, um, or we would like an update on whether Viceroy has paid their fine or not. Oh, so um, I think actually, I'm not sure if we published this, but Viceroy did appeal our decision. So the, the, the appeal is being considered by the Financial Services Tribunal, after which that decision will be made public once made. So uh, they don't have to pay the fine while the appeal is being considered. Okay. I think that the idea of treating customers fairly is a very noble one. However, I think it, I do, however, think that it seeks to solve the problem of low levels of financial literacy at the wrong level. I think that it is a, it is a mistake to seek to try and equalize it at the level of finance service providers. The mistake happens at the basic education level, and that is where, in my view, it ought to be fixed. By the time people are in a position to enter into transaction, the damage has already been done and built up over decades. I think that the, I think that TCF takes the agency away from the individual and gives it to the service provider. I think that this is a big mistake. I know that the FSCA is working on measures to intervene at the basic education level. I support this wholeheartedly. I do wonder though, why there isn't a strong as strong as an emphasis on financial literacy at the school level as there is at the level of financial service transactions, because it seems to me to be equally important. Yeah, so I mean, I, you, I think I think that um, 
So there's no trade-off here. The interventions at various levels around education programs to deal with issues of financial literacy and or consumer education are not in the, uh, uh, they are never going to be sufficient so that you reduce responsibilities of licensed firms around how they should treat their customers fairly. So, so, so there's, there's no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a false dichotomy. Um, so yes, we can improve interventions around consumer education at various levels and we will, and we must, but you must still make sure that the responsibilities of financial institutions are clear and consistently applied around how they should their, their, their customers. I don't necessarily agree that what you have right now is that you've moved that responsibility, you've taken away agency from individuals to financial institutions. I think, like I was saying before, the, the size and complexity and sophistication of the financial sector requires a higher level of responsibility and burden on what information they should provide and what responsibilities they should have legally when they sell a product um, and throughout the life cycle of that product um, and so on. So, so those responsibilities, uh, I think, are placed at the right level um, because individual customers, even relatively knowledgeable, uh, struggle to always understand all the risks pertaining to the products that they are sold um, and transparency around pricing and just the ability to ask the right questions. Now, of course, you can continuously and must continuously empower customers uh, to engage with financial institutions. Uh, but I think the, 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 the power relations are always that financial, financial institutions have more information um, than individual customers ever will. Now, of course, you need to apply these as principles. That's why it's TCF principles and outcomes, because that, um, that implicitly says that for different type of customers, there should be different approaches. And the things that you emphasize of those principles to different customers will not be the same because you're dealing with different customers. And differentiation around customers in terms of uh, advice, whether it's suitable or not, what communication, uh, product design, and so on, it's, it's, it's part of the responsibility of the financial institution anyway. Okay. One of the notable facts of your appointment, sir, which I actually find quite interesting, is the fact that you started your tenure as commissioner during, during the, well, actually this, COVID-19 pandemic, because it isn't over. How has the COVID-19 pandemic backdrop affected your first year as commissioner? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's been quite an interesting um, period in one's career and also I think in the life of the FSCA as, as a regulator. Um, at a personal level, quite difficult to join a new organization when you have restrictions in terms of in-person interactions. Uh, so that's been a bit of a challenge. But of course, uh, with the tools and instruments that we have to have online meetings, virtual engagements on camera and so on, um, that's, that's been managed. Of course, with 
hybrid approaches now that's much improved. I think we've learned a lot as employers and as professionals in terms of how we can use um, tools for people to work remotely, but deliver in terms of what the organization requires of them to deliver. And of course, some of the uh, benefits of having people work from anywhere, uh, but still also be quite engaged with the work of the organization. So, so in terms of that, I think that's now well embedded um, and we're far, we're far down, down the line uh, of implementing hybrid working uh, arrangements at the FSCA. In terms of the general backdrop, so um, when I joined, I think we're very much still in a period of uncertainty around um, what is going to come next in terms of um, COVID-19 infections and how those would affect, especially the insurance sector, uh, the, the life sector specifically. I think that if you look across the financial sector now, there's been quite good recovery mm -hmm. um, across the, the sector with actually uh, the sector having fully recovered in terms of the performance that you saw going into the COVID-19 uh, period. And I think that talks to um, also the kind of support and relief measures that are put in place from a regulatory perspective and from a policy perspective also from the Reserve Bank, uh, which I think contributed quite positively to the turnaround uh, that we're seeing. And of course, the beneficiaries of that are customers uh, one of the things that has, ha that has happened and it's really been uh, spread on by the COVID-19 period is digital transformation. Um, many customers moving onto digital platforms in terms of interacting and engaging with financial institutions, um, which has been positive overall. Of course, it does have specific conduct um, challenges because not all customers, for example, have got adequate access to data, or adequate access to platforms. So firms, and this is what we've been emphasizing in conversations with them, have to be able to have differentiated approaches of supporting their customers, even as we are fully uh, behind the digital transformation journey and developments uh, as a whole. So that's that's really been you know, uh, my take on what COVID-19 has meant, both for the sector and, and for the regulator. Mm -hmm. In the previous, Sorry, in closing, I have a final question. Sure. Um, in the previous podcast you had with Pila, I remember you speaking about striking the correct, the right balance between the need to regulate and over-regulations. So what are your thoughts on yours and the FSCA's pursuit of this perfect balance? One of the things that we are working on uh, quite specifically as the FSCA is harmonizing uh, regulatory requirements across the various silos uh, in the sector. And we're doing this because we think it's going to have quite uh, immense benefits um, from a reduction of regulatory burden uh, perspective. And, and also, you know, we're looking forward to the world of Kofi once, once it's enacted because it also gives quite an explicit expression to the point I was making earlier around proportionality. Uh, so both in the design of the regulatory framework to have requirements that speak in a more clear way to different size of businesses, complexity, different business models. Um, and all of that combined should deliver, I think, um, important or material reductions in the regulatory burden. Having said that, I think that the more 
complex the sector becomes, um, the more we have to respond uh, in similar ways uh, from a regulatory perspective. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing assessment of where that balance is. Okay. Do you have any concluding remarks? Um, not really. I mean, I think just to say that, you know, the only point I'll emphasize is, is what we discussed earlier about needing to give Twin Peaks time and to have formal assessments at an appropriate time. I think that there can always be improvements, um, but one must know exactly uh, what you are targeting change is at, and that is a, a function of both time and a scientific approach to assessing whether things work or not. And, and thank you very much for having me in this conversation. That's the thank last you. That, sir, we have we the ones who should thank you. We've learned thank quite you. a bit. We've actually even had to do a bit of research on the FSCA. So <laughs> it's been a learning experience. Also having you on, it's been a massive learning experience. It's a privilege and honor to have you on. And thank you for sparing the time, sir. Absolutely. Most welcome. Most welcome. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Other than that, cheers. <laughs> Bye.